Listen in to the forum at St. James Church. Let's start with a prayer, and then I'll have a bit of introductory things to say. But I got this prayer um, from a book I was looking at yesterday, a new book out on the Psalms that I was reading in preparation for this morning's topic, which is that of uh, Psalms of praise slash joy. So that's where we're going to go. And here's a prayer. Let us pray. God of joy unspeakable, you've not created us so that we should merely endure existence. You have created us rather for delight, and you have filled our mouths with laughter. Turn our tears into songs of joy, change our wailing into dancing, and make our wilderness blossom with life so that with the morning stars we might sing for gladness and with the festive throng we may come to your house with shouts of praise. We pray this in the name of the one who endured all things for the joy set before him. Amen. 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 So this is the second in our summer forum series on the Psalms. Brenda mentioned in the announcements this morning at, at our service of Holy Eucharist that on Wednesday evening from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. for an hour, we'll have a conversation in relationship to our uh, in relation to our first book of the of the summer. It is Walter Brueggemann's Spirituality of the Psalms, and we were saying last week in the forum and some other places that it's relatively short. It's 77 pages. So if you are like me and you have a little bit of reading to do before Wednesday, and I'm leading the discussion, um, get, get after it the next couple of days with me and plan to join on Wednesday night. It should, be, it should be good fun. So that will happen Wednesday. Brenda sort of framed why the Psalms was the topic of last Sunday's forum. And as I mentioned just before the prayer, today is on praise and joy. We have figured out a way to turn this Zoom session into an audio recording that is available on our podcast. So if you want to go back and give it a listen, uh, it will be there early in the week. So one of the things that, one of the reasons really that we chose to look at the Psalms is because when we started sheltering in place at the beginning of the pandemic, we quickly moved to online morning and evening prayer. And you may know that in our common life at St. James, we have morning and evening prayer in the chapel when uh, things are up and going at 8 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. So we've stuck with that schedule. But what putting the daily office, as it's called, morning and evening prayer, on Zoom has allowed as many more people are able to participate because they're not commuting or you know, running off to work and just all of the busyness of a morning. And more and more people are able to join in with morning and evening prayer, which is a real uh, silver lining, as it were, uh, of some of this. And as you will have noticed, the Psalms make up a really big piece of morning and evening prayer. There's a there's a daily lectionary for the office that provides us with 
appointed psalms and nourishes us with those. I'm going to share my screen to show you the Book of Common Prayer online to say a little word about that. bcponline.org. If you own a Book of Common Prayer, it's same thing. So over to the left here, you'll see just the table of contents of our, of our Book of Common Prayer. And if you go to the daily office and look at morning prayer, once you launch in, sorry for the scrolling, Lord, open our lips, glory to the Father, and then we begin with a, a shout of joy, Psalm 95, or Psalm 100, be joyful in the Lord's all you lands. So the diet of the Psalter every morning sort of kicks it off 95 and 100, or 100. And then the Psalms, the Psalm or Psalms appointed, you see that rubric, our heading rather. So, if you go to the Daily Office Lectionary, season after Pentecost, uh, we're actually in year two, but never mind. The season after Pentecost, we're just now we're on proper seven. So you scroll down. Oh, good, they have year one and two. Proper seven. So you see there, if you look, uh, say today, there's 66 and 67, that's for morning prayer, and then 19 and 46, evening prayer, and that goes on and on. So the backbone of our daily prayer, which is an, a vital component, frankly, of the spirituality of Anglicanism, was taking the daily office, the daily prayers of the church, that were largely, if not exclusively, being done by religious orders and priests, clergy, and taking that daily office structure, putting it into a language that the people of God actually understand, and putting it in their book for them to, to say daily. So that every day we have scripture and the Psalms washing over us morning and evening. And we know from the earliest uh, tradition in the church, taking on the prayer life of Jewish worship, that we would pray especially at morning and evening. And then you could add in noonday and night. So the Psalter forms a backbone of monastic prayer, cathedral style prayer in the Middle Ages, and then becomes essential to the spirituality of Anglicans and subsequently Episcopalians. So the way the lectionary has broken this up is giving us kind of seasonal and um, particular Psalms for each day. So that for instance, Friday, every Friday of the year, we acknowledge Good Friday. So oftentimes the Psalms appointed for Good Fri or a Friday, every Friday throughout the year, will take on um, a, a tone of lament, anguish, crying out, etc. Not the sort of 
cheery, joyful songs that you might get regularly on a Sunday morning. The other thing, and I'll stop sharing my screen here. The Psalter also has uh, a 30-day psalm cycle. The way that the daily office goes is that we say the entirety of the psalm about every three months. So if you do the daily office day in and day out, you're saying the entire Psalter, Psalm 1 to 150, about four times a year. But in you know, early prayer books, and, and even still in our own, um, there's this other cycle where it just is going through the Psalms in order. So for instance, this is the, what the Psalms look like in our prayer book. And you see book one, first day morning prayer. Okay. So you're still, number two is a part of that. Number three is a part of that. Number four is a part of that. They're not entirely long. Number five is a part of that. You know, you've got to get through them all. And then, then you get to six and you see first day evening prayer. So anyway, there's just some practical things about how the Psalm works in the prayer book. If you want to say that all 150 in a month, follow the 30 day. Follow the lectionary of the daily office. You'll say it four times a year. Most importantly, try to just say one from time to time. And maybe before, you know, that's not just Sunday. Uh, but if it's just Sunday, that's good too. Great. So joy and praise. Praise and joy. I think those things kind of go together. At least I, they are in my mind. I want to talk a little bit about that with you all today. I have a list for you. I'll put it in the comments. These are psalms of praise that I plucked out of our Psalter, just flipping through them. It took me 20 or 30 minutes, and I said, that one counts, I think. I maybe missed many. Um, some were obviously not psalms of praise or psalms of joy. Um, so I have some confidence in my list, but feel free to let me know if you, if you have some that you don't see on this list. I'd be happy to see it. Um, so that's in your chat function. Uh, some of those psalms, and I'll just say them out loud so that they will be on our podcast. They're Psalms 8, 19, 33, 66, 67, 95 through 100, 103, 104, 111, 113, 114, 117, and 145 through 150. That last chunk, sometimes called the Hallelujah Psalms, because they each start with hallelujah. Uh, very clever of us to come up with that uh, title. And hallelujah, what does that mean? It means hallelujah is like praise, praise. And yah, hallelujah, is short. It's Yahweh's nickname. Um, so praise Yahweh. So when we say hallelujah, we say praise Yahweh. That's a fun fact. And also it's sort of devotionally um, solid to know. You know, it's always helpful when we know what the words that we say, what they mean is, is, is just helpful in having us grow spiritually. 
and that's something that I tend to like about our Episcopal tradition is that our learning and our devotional life are meant to go together. Here's a quote from Dorothy Day. Do I have it? No, it's on my Kindle. Did I bring my Kindle? No. Never mind. But I have a, but I have a quote of uh, Walter Brueggemann, and I have Kindle on my phone, so I, I'll get that Dorothy Day quote for you momentarily. But Walter, in singing praise, all claims for the self are given up as the self is ceded over to God. In praise, we can stop worrying about ourselves so much and put some attention on God. There's a story that I heard about a business student at the University of Texas, Austin, and he went to an Episcopal church there in Austin, and the priest um, described him as sort of what you would expect out of a business student. He was a you know, 20, let's say, eight-year-old guy, and he had his khakis nicely pressed and a button shirt that was in good form. And overall, just a kind of, you know, polite, um, charming, and very smart guy. And, you know, kind of conservative in his dress. And they would get to this place. It's a kind of charismatic Episcopal church, but not, but, you know, charismatic Episcopal church. So it's not like a Pentecostal full-on slain in the spirit kind of thing, although that would be cool. But this is an Episcopal charismatic church. And there is more opportunity, and many parishioners will do things like raise their hands in, in singing songs of praise or, you know, some other kind of physical expression of, of showing uh, that it is not just... Um, or rather that, you know, it's not me, it's God. And uh, never mind if this is embarrassing. So what this business student would do is a kind of skip and flailing with his arms. And the priest was utterly delighted, if shocked, that he was doing this off in the, off in the side. And he, the, the priest finally mustered up the courage to sort of ask him about that. And he said, I do it to, uh, out of obedience to Jesus, you know? It ain't about me. Uh, I just am giving myself over. So that's kind of what I think praise and joy uh, has the possibility of doing for us, bringing us out of ourselves. I don't have the Dorothy Day quote, but I have this Dorothy Day anecdote that comes to mind. She was here at a Catholic, uh, Catholic worker's house in the city and rather famous in America at the time, and her biographer, I forget his name, but he came to the worker house for the first time to come to meet Dorothy Day. And she's sitting in the sort of common room and she's having a conversation with a woman um, and Dorothy gestures to John. Thank you so much, Brad, you are brilliant. She gestures to John and says, would you, uh, you know, just sit, just sit down. Um, oh, very cool, he did. So he gestures to John. I wish we all had John on this right now. He could tell the story much better than I, than I am. John sits down uh, and Dorothy continues her conversation with this woman 
who is quite distressed and in fact drunk, right? So she, Dorothy, uh, ministers to her, so to speak, and, and, and sort of de-escalates. And as the woman calms down and takes her seat and, and is sort of at a moment of uh, some peace, Dorothy gets up and walks over to John and says, uh, which, uh, which one of us are you here to speak with, <laughs> right? So like, Dorothy's not just assuming uh, that she, you know, famous person that she is, that John is there to, to speak to her, but maybe, you know, the woman who's drunk and having a bit of a hard time. And I think that is rooted in a kind of life of praise. Dorothy uh, went to daily Eucharist. She prayed the offices every day. She was grounded and rooted in the Psalms uh, and in songs of praise. And what that allowed for her to be about is not herself. Um, it is no longer ourselves we proclaim, but Christ Jesus as Lord. And praise allows us to enter into that place of humility and sort of grown-up spiritual understanding that the world does not, in fact, revolve around me, even if I thought it did, I thought it did when I was, you know, 13 or 14. Or in the case of some people um, uh, who have high positions of power still think that that's the way the world goes. But breaking news, it's not about you. Okie doke. Um, let's see here. So my notes say, all psalms of praise describe in some fashion who God is by telling the reader what God has done. And they invite the reader to bear witness to such a God and yield oneself to this faithful God. And I should back up a little and say that the entire Psalter is called the Tahalim. Tahalim. I'll put the paste that into the chat. Why is it not letting me paste? Copy rather. I'll just write it. Should I spell it right? Tahalim. And what that means, uh, that's a Hebrew word, is the book of praises. So the whole Psalter, the Tahalim, is a book of praises. And in the Psalms, uh, we learn what praise sounds like. You know, what, what does praise to God say? And there are two basic shapes of a Psalm of praise. The first involves a summons and a reason. So Psalm 47, verses 1 and 2, let me share it with you. Psalm 47, 1 and 2. So the summons, clap your hands, all you people, shout to God with a cry, with a cry of joy. The reason, for the Lord most high is to be feared. He is the great king over all the earth. So that's one shape, a summons, a reason. And the second is a structure 
because X, therefore Y. Because X, therefore Y. And an example of that is Psalm 27, verses 7 and 8. For in the day of trouble, he shall keep me safe in his shelter. He shall hide me in the secrecy of his dwelling and set me high upon a rock. Even now he lifts up my head above my enemies round about me. Because X, therefore, I will offer in his dwelling an oblation with sounds of great gladness. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Those are the two basic structures, if that's how your brain works. You'll see that throughout the Psalter. All right, a few points here, and then we'll, I'll give you some conversation prompts. The Psalms of Praise, they, as I said, assert and assume that God is the ultimate source of joy. God is the source of joy. So 1611, Psalm 16, verse 11. You will show me, you, God, will show me the path of life. In your presence, God, there is fullness of joy. And in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 145 is a good example of this as well. But it's God. God is the source of joy. So our, our joy, our praise comes out of who God is. Namely, a trinity of persons overflowing with self-giving love and praise and joy. And we, when we participate in that God of three persons, in Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God's life becomes the source of our joy. That's one thing that all psalms of praise assume and assert. Thomas Merton said, Merton was that uh, great 20th century Trappist monk in Kentucky. In praising God with the words of the psalms, we can come to know him better. Knowing him better, we love God better. Loving God better, we find our happiness in him. Merton, of course, as a Trappist monk, lived and moved and had his being in the, the Psalter. So that's the first thing. Psalms of praise assert and assume that God's the source. The second thing I want to say is that praise is what the whole creation does. The whole creation. The Psalter gives us the rivers clapping their hands and the mountains singing for joy. That's lovely imagery and a timely word, you know, it, in our current climate of ecological crisis. God means for all of creation to be flourishing and giving praise. The trees sing and the fields make merry. So as the Psalms see it, all of creation 
is it instructing us into the practice of joy? So if you like creation and nature, if you're a person who uh, likes to be in nature, and I certainly am, and most people I think are, but there are exceptions. Uh, but if, if nature brings you joy, it's helpful to uh, recall spiritually that that's precisely what God intends. That the mountains and the streams and the trees are raising your voice uh, to experience the joy uh, that is found in God. I was a little surprised to learn that John Calvin, you know Calvin, right? Um, not, not a very high view of sort of sacraments, certainly not by, you know, sort of Episcopalian standards. But even he said, if God can wow us with one feather of a peacock, you know, what, a, what an amazing thing. So I tip my hat to John Calvin. I don't do that every day, but I am right now. Uh, I completely agree. It's like the sacramentality of all of creation is an outward invisible sign of, of the, the goodness and glory of God. And the Psalms help us, give us language for that. And I think I forgot to say this at the beginning, when people, uh, more people from the parish were participating in the daily office, we as, as the clergy heard uh, people saying, I'm struggling to pray right now, but the Psalms are really helpful. The Psalms are giving me the language that I need. And I certainly have found that to be true over and over again in, in the practice of the office, is that I'm given words that just make sense of my lived reality, but I didn't have the words for it. And you know, because the Psalms sort of aren't just praise and joy, they're every emotion under the sun, we can really find it all there. So praise is what the whole creation does. That was my second thing. The third is that God's work of rescue invites praise. God's work of rescue. So when God gives victory in the face of defeat, the psalmist shouts for joy. Psalm 20, verse 5. When God forgives sin and rescues us from that, joy comes. Psalm 51, 5 through 10. We confess our sins regularly as in our liturgy. And some, some of you uh, practice uh, auricular confession. That's the jargon that comes into my brain. Just one-on-one -on -one confession with a priest. And in my experience of that ministry, which is available uh, to you and to Episcopalians in our prayer book, we do it. It's not a weird Catholic thing. Um, Episcopalians do it too. Um, my experience of that sacrament uh, is, is really a sense of joy uh, to be able to lay our burdens down and be rescued from our uh, turning in on ourselves, our turning away from God, and to receive forgiveness. And then joy comes. And it's not a cheap, it's not a cheap, uh, hit of adrenaline or a drug or something. It's, it's deep and abiding joy that has come through uh, hardship. 
When God consoles the anxious heart, joy slowly but surely takes its place. Psalm 94, verse 19. And for the people of Israel, the need for rescue was constant. It was needed before the years of exile, during the years of exile, and after the years of exile. And Psalm 126 is an example of that. That was my third point. God's work of rescue invites praise. And my last point is that throughout the Psalter, joy precedes and follows sorrow. And as often as not, joy exists alongside sorrow. Psalm 86, verses 3 and 4, gives us an example of sort of choice to uh, sing, to offer a sacrifice of praise in the midst of sorrow is a, cho- is a choice. And it's really helpful as the people of God to be able to offer that sacrifice of praise with each other, even when you don't feel like it. Right? Because you're not in a place of praise and joy, but you willingly offer your sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving And you borrow, so to speak, uh, someone else's joy in the body of Christ. You can borrow faith. You can borrow joy. Um, You can borrow whatever you want, because Acts says we laid it all down together to share. So we we, we come together. So we might not feel happy, but we can choose with the assembly of the faithful to offer God that, that praise, which is to say in the way that we often make sense of happiness in our culture. Um, it's, it's like a feeling, something I feel happy. This is a chosen sacrifice of praise for the sake of a joy that comes from sharing in the life of God and, and the life of God's people. All right, friends, I'm gonna Just look through my notes to see if I want to say anything else before I send you off into breakout rooms for a few minutes. Ellen Davis, she's a professor at Duke uh, and an Episcopalian. Uh, is she an Episcopal priest? Does anyone know? Is Ellen? I don't know. I can't remember. Should know. Um, anyway, Ellen's brilliant Old Testament professor. And actually, uh, we all have been, some of the clergy have been looking at one of her books because she has a small book on the Old Testament in the first chapter, I think, is on the Psalter. And we all bought the book, the clergy, and we're giving it a look. And in the beginning of it, she says, I want to thank St. James, Manhattan, uh, for the lectures that I gave on, the, on this very topic and how they clarified my thinking, which we were all like, who knew? That's amazing. Hey, thanks, Ellen. Um, that's cool. She reminds us that although lament, which you'll be looking at next week, lament, it always hopes to grow into praise. It hopes to grow into praise. But that praise does not forget uh, where it comes from. I think that's a really nice way of saying it. C.S. Lewis, in his autobiography, Surprised by Joy, writes that biblical joy 
is always marked by an inconsolable longing. So we rejoice, but with the painful yearning for the sweet fullness of joy. And I don't know if you have any experience with that. That's one of my questions for breakout group. But joy, um, as marked by this, by this longing, this kind of insatiable, inconsolable longing, because it's not yet, it's a foretaste, but it's not yet the fullness of life and joy with God, so to speak. All right, I'm gonna copy and paste my questions. I have five of them. I have four of them. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something a little different here. I'm gonna break you into groups. I'm going to put all four questions up in the chat. Take a couple minutes in silence to read those questions and choose, I'm giving you a buffet of, of choices here. Um, choose a question that resonates with you in your group. And if you feel willing to share a response to that question, that would be lovely. But you don't all have to answer every question. Just choose one that resonates with you. And then each person can choose that question, okay? I'm gonna put it in the chat. And then when I send you into breakout groups, I'll send it into the chat again, just in case it disappears. So I will go with uh, 10 rooms. So you'll have four or five people. I'm gonna create those now. And uh, as I say, I'll send the questions if need be. See you soon. Welcome back. You're the first three. Well, then I'll butt in and say this, Zach. We were just talking, and I said your sermon today was unbelievable. <laughs> Thanks so much, Brad. You were talking about longing and you know wanting more, wanting more. There was a moment when you were preaching, and I felt like the online gap was almost totally bridged. Um, what a great distillation of the gospel in action. Thanks a lot, Brad. I really appreciate you saying that. I have a question, Zach. Hi, Anne. Hi. I've always wondered about this. Why does the point of view always shift in the middle of a song? Mm, good question. I, that's a, always confused me. Is that like a structure that was a, you know, the way it was done at that time in antiquity? No, I'm wondering, you know, I think it'd be helpful to have a, a kind of example of what you mean. Okay, I'll try to find one afterwards yeah. and send it. Yeah, do so. Because I do think that sometimes that it can be important as a, a literary exercise when you're taking on the words of the Psalter. It's like, wait, who, who said the this? Prophet. It's going to be a lot yeah. of the prophets too. It's like, hang on, um, is God talking now? You know, or is this <laughs> Isaiah? Or um, um, who, who are the characters? Zach, I'm looking, I just randomly looked at, at Psalm 64, yeah. and it, it starts out talking to God, mm -hmm. and, and then in the middle it talks about him in the third person. Mm -hmm. And he talks about, hear my voice, O God, and then toward the end, like in verse 8, it says, he will make them trip over their tongues. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That must be what she's talking about. You know, yes, yeah. it is. First person, and then becomes third person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody have thoughts on that? Are you discussing the 
first or third person aspect? Or are you discussing the change of emotion and affect and uh, expression of either distress or joy or whatever? Is is it regarding the personhood or the person? It's, I mean, the form shift in the shift in point of view. That's what I thought you were talking about. Yeah. Well, that was this, the personhood. This, first the first. emotional uh, myriad of experience. I don't know. Maybe I, I, I have to look at some of some more specific ones, maybe side by side, but maybe it's shifting from individual uh, expression to a collective expression. I don't know. Okay. That's just a guess. Yeah. Well, what you said earlier resonated with me in terms of the fact that one can experience all different kinds of emotions almost simultaneously and go yeah. from one to another. But I've, I've found that to be kind of jarring in the Psalms as well, even though I experience it myself all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's right. Uh, Carol has a good question here. Uh, just because the sake, for the sake of time, uh, I recognize it's noon, so I'm not going to have a share back with the group, which makes me sad because I want to hear what you said. Um, but I, you'll have to let me know some other time. Uh, but the people in your group know what you said and we are the body. It's just, I want to know. Uh, and I would love for others to be able to hear that. But you see Carol's question here. What does this mean? Shield the joyous found an evening prayer on page 124. We say that uh, prayer from time to time, don't we? Shield the joyous in something about uh, pity the afflicted, shield the joyous in all for your love's sake. But Carol, I uh, would be, this is how it goes. Keep watch, dear Lord, with those who work or watch or weep this night, and give your angels charge over those who sleep. Tend the sick, Lord Christ, give rest to the weary, bless the dying, soothe the suffering, pity the afflicted, shield the joyous, and all for your love's sake. That prayer was written by St. Augustine uh, of Hippo. Shield the joyous. I mean, the way that I see that is just to sort of um, joy, joy is, um, can come and go. And when we're feeling that joy, there's a, you know, that we're caught up and we praise is easily on our lips. And, and the joy of being in communion with a living God is, is palpable. And we're walking on clouds. You know that feeling. Um, sadly, it doesn't stay that way forever, does it? Um, so to, to shield us there, like hold us, hold us there. Let us come down from that place gently and sort of re-enter back into uh, whatever might be next by, by your protection and, and loving care. That's my interpretation. Georgia. So dear friends, next week, same time, I don't even know if you can say same place. Is this a place? <laughs> same time, same place. Um, you will have with you the Reverend Eva Suarez, and she will be looking at the Psalms of Lament. The, the Psalms of Lament. Um, so go with God. Oh, I found the Dorothy Day quote on my, uh, when you were in breakout session. Here you have it. This will be our final word as the, the one thread that 
the only thread that hung this conversation together. <laughs> the quote I couldn't find and then I found. Um, hopefully there are a couple others too. Here it is. Dorothy said, whenever I felt the beauty of the world in song or story, in the material universe around me, or glimpsed it in human love, I wanted to cry out with joy. The Psalms were an outlet for this enthusiasm of joy or grief. Dorothy gets the final word. See you next week or somewhere in between now and then. But it's, it's great being with you. God bless you all. To learn more about St. James Church, visit stjames.org. That's stjames.org.